Mate, what is going on this week? It is so good to have you here for episode 32 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Now, in this episode, we're going to dig into the science of periodization. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Mate, what is going on this week? It is so good to have you here. I am ridiculously excited about this week's podcast episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode and I got a lot of feedback from that. And I want to dig into a little bit more to give you a little bit more guidance. But before we do that, just a couple of things. I wanted to say a huge thank you for all of those people who have donated to the Exponential Performance Podcast charity Give a Little page. Um, we are mounting up the dollars now. I think we've elapsed $210. Um which is fantastic, and that's going to be going to World Vision. That, give a little page, is open until the 25th of December. And remember, this is about paying it forward. If you have found this podcast helpful over the last 32 episodes, and you want to give something back, please consider paying it forward with a small donation that will go towards our charity. It doesn't have to be much. The Exponential Performance Podcast listeners are growing at a rapid rate. So if everyone out there just donates a dollar even, it will go a long way to helping people less fortunate in this wonderful place we call home. That is the world. So please get over and check that out. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen that I have been trialing a few different sports gels Uh, and I'm going to continue doing this uh, and I'm going to do what turned into just grabbing a few gels at the the shop to try a few different things is turned into a little bit of an experiment Uh, and I'm going to test as many gels as possible and provide a bit of feedback so please comment in the link below about what is your favorite gel put me Put down the name and the brand of the gel, but then the flavor as well. I want to dig into flavors and see what the best flavor out there is. You can follow this over at my Instagram, and, it, and my Instagram name is MattyEPC. So get over and check me out at Instagram. Give me a follow there and keep up to uh, speed with my gel experiment. Uh, one final thing before we get into the meat of today's episode is keep sending in the voice questions i have been getting a lot of questions uh still a lot of written questions so please send me any questions you have via the voice message system all you have to do is go to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask a-s-k over there there's a wee uh, recorder that you can push record, say your message into, and then send it through to me, and I will get it on the podcast in the future. What I'm going to do is save up a few of the voice questions, and then have a big Q and A session later down the line. 
So that's enough messages for now. What we're going to do is we're going to jump into having a look at some of the science and the physiology behind periodization and the programming of different training sessions. Let's get into it. So no doubt you're familiar, at least have heard of periodization. Periodization is simply the process of breaking down your training into smaller, more manageable phases that work on different aspects of your performance at different times. And one of the classic models of periodization is referred to as linear periodization. And linear periodization is all about progressively building uh, up to one event, a key pinnacle event, that most people listening to this podcast may be in that same situation. There are other methods of periodization, such as a multi-tier periodized approach, which is about working on everything all at once so that we never move too far away from our end goal. And there's also a reverse periodization, and what we do is flip the periodization pyramid which I'll talk about soon sort of on its head start with short power stuff and then and then move through to endurance stuff closer to the event each one of these periodization models has its place depending on the situation the athlete the goals uh, the competition schedule out there so not no one is right or wrong they are like a builder's toolbox If you've got these tools to draw on, then you use them, but you don't use all of your tools all of the time for all of the jobs that you do, so to speak. For example, I don't really know too much about building. However, uh, you know, a builder obviously has a hammer and a saw. They don't use their saw all the time, and they don't use their hammer all the time. They use their saw for cutting. They use their hammer for, I guess, hammering. But they don't try and hammer with their saw, and they don't try and saw with their hammer. So all of these different tools that I'm going to present today aren't a this is what you should do all of the time approach. That's here are some tools and you can apply them at different times if they are needed. And I think that's where people go really wrong is that some research will come out about a new training method and then people go, Put all your eggs in that basket. I'm only doing that from now on. And it's completely wrong. And as soon as you can realize that and take and pick and choose different components of training from different, you know, different research or different ideas, then you can start to build up this toolbox that you can draw upon. Or pay someone else to do it for you. That's what coaches are for, I guess. But What we'll do is we'll crack into things and I'll try and explain some different hammers and some different saws and hopefully show you where you can cut using your saw and where you can hammer using your hammer. So periodization, we got a little bit off track there. So periodization, we're going to talk about linear periodization today and no doubt you've probably seen the pyramid periodization model. So that's the triangle, the pyramid with a very wide base and a pointy top. You know what a triangle looks like. What am I trying to say? Now, the idea of this pyramid is that you first build the base. And the idea is that building the base allows to support the structure on top, the pointy bit. 
So the, at the base of our pyramid is our technique and our skills. And then on top of that's our endurance. On top of that's our strength. On top of that's our speed. And finally, at the point in, our power. So the wider and bigger you build the base, the higher you can build the pointy top end race day speed and power. If you were just to work on your speed and power without working on that base, you would have a very small base to support a very pointy top end and your performance would no doubt fall over. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of a think about what this means in the real world. We're going to have a think about the physiology behind the periodization. And then we're going to have a look at some specific training sessions to try and target the physiological responses that we are after in the different training phases. So if we divide our training build-up into two basic phases, a base phase and a speed phase. Now when you really dig into periodization, there is uh, a number of sub-phases within each of these phases. So in our base phase, we might have base one, base two, and even a base three. And each one of those potentially works on sort of lower level loading technique um, and skills. Base two may be more of a aerobic endurance focus. Base three may be a strength endurance focus, and so on and so forth. What I want to do is just keep it very wide, big picture at the moment because it's a little bit hard to explain over a podcast we can dig into it later on but to just get some uh, key points across today without bogging you down in too much detail I wanted to just keep it black and white we're going to have our base phase and we're going to have our speed phase what I was actually thinking and probably a good time to ask this is I was thinking about putting together uh, an online package uh, whether that be instructional videos ebooks um, group coaching about how to plan and design and implement your own training programs and go over periodization models how to structure your weeks and that sort of thing if you think that might be something you would be interested in and something that I should put some time into developing, please leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening on so I can have some idea about if people are interested in in it or not before I set to work of designing and and creating it for you. In something like that, I'd be able to give a lot more detail, um, outline some diagrams and, and the rest of it and talk you through it. But for today's purpose, back on topic, sorry, we're going to talk about base training and speed training. We're going to talk about a base phase and a speed phase. So if we think back to last week's episode, now if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's probably well worth going and checking that out, and that's episode 31. You can find it over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website underneath the podcast tab, episode 31. So think back to last week's episode, and I want you to think about many of the endurance adaptations that we talked about last week. And they were things such as blood volume, mitochondria, the size and the density of our mitochondria, so they get bigger and there's more of them, an increase in heart size, an increase in capillarization, a transition of our muscle fibers towards type 1 
type muscle fibers. Now, all of these things that I just described are largely structural in nature. The body actually has to physically make new structures. There's new red blood cells. The heart has to grow extra fibers to increase its size. We have to build new capillaries, new blood vessels. Mitochondria, those little power stations in the muscle, they actually have to grow and and develop. All of these things take time to develop. They take time because we're growing these new little structures within our body. And this is why your base phase needs to be relatively long. It needs to be relatively long for the body to get all of these different exposures, all of these signals from our training to say, hey, we need more blood. We need more mitochondria. We need blood vessels down in these quads of yours because they're all like white chicken meat. Now, this is a little bit off topic, but if you have a look at chicken meat, what color is the breast meat? It's white, yeah? And what color is the legs? It's darker meat, isn't it? And that is because the legs are a more aerobic muscle. They're type 1 muscles, or more like type 1. They've got more capillarization. There's more blood. There's more myoglobin in those muscles. That's all about taking oxygen and transferring it into energy. However, the breast is white. And a white muscle fiber is a fast twitch muscle fiber. Fast twitch muscle fibers don't require much oxygen to create energy. It's all about that speed, that power. And so it is white because it doesn't have many capillaries in there. Interesting, eh? And when you think about it, how far can a chicken fly? Not very far if you've ever seen seen one to try and fly. Their flight is purely a survival mechanism to get away from a predator in the short term. How far can a chicken run? It can run for quite a long time. That's because the muscle fibers in their legs are more type 1-like. They've got more blood going to them. They can make energy for a long period of time. So that's what's happening in our bodies when we are training. We're getting those capillaries into those muscles to turn them more red, to make the dark meat, so to speak. We want to turn that white breast meat into dark, dark, dark meat. Because that means they're going to be better at endurance activity. So it takes a while for these adaptations to occur. And because they take quite a long time to to occur, they also take quite a long time to detrain. So we'll talk about the speed phase in a second. But no doubt you've had that sort of feeling of, yeah, I don't really have much speed, which we'll talk about soon. But I've still got that really good aerobic base. Now, the aerobic base doesn't go anywhere fast. It doesn't disappear fast because the things in your body are structural. It takes a while for them to to develop, but it takes a time for them to regress as well, which is really good news. And we'll we'll talk about that soon. So all of these things in in our base phase take a while to develop. And that's why our base phase needs to be long. How long? Well, to be honest, it depends on the athlete in a big case. It can be anywhere up to, say, 10 weeks or even more. If you've got your base phase 
and you've got base one in there, you're focused on your endurance, and then you go into a strength endurance focus, you could, your base phase could be up to 20 weeks long, depending on, on what you're doing. And within that big phase, there would be multiple smaller phases in there, little sub endurance phases where you focused on different things at different times and you'd graduate from uh, an aerobic endurance focus through to more of a, a strength endurance focus as the training progresses so what would some of the sessions look like in there well when we have a think about the physiological adaptations that we're trying to achieve we're trying to get a lot of uh, cardiovascular adaptations happening our blood volume our end diastolic volume which is that increase in heart size and that capillarization and a lot of that has been shown that long steady distance does make that stuff happen and so that's kind of training in a roundabout your zone too that you can you, know, you can have a conversation and you can go for a long period of time on the opposite side to that We've also found that high-intensity interval training can also elicit these same adaptations. Now, in the research, it shows it quite well. And in the real world, I would suggest being careful using high-intensity interval training for too long in your base phase. And I say this for a couple of reasons. High intensity interval training has gained a lot of popularity and I'm probably partially to blame for this as well. I've added fuel to the fire because I did my masters all about high intensity interval training and actually the cardiovascular adaptations that occur from this. And I published a paper about it which adds, you know, to this mystique of high intensity interval training that everyone wants to be doing. But in the real world, I would say be careful for using it too long for too long in your base phase and this is why all of the research that has been done or the majority of it is done in quite short-term blocks even the training studies because it's really hard to get participants to stay on for a long long training study it becomes very hard to control so most of the research is relatively short-term and what I have found is that if you are doing too much high intensity interval training and not and not getting the long steady distance in you may be good for a couple of months even a year of doing it but what i find happens is that athletes start to get burnt out from it mentally and physically and they also start to get this erosion of their base endurance and I don't know exactly what it is because the research shows that high intensity interval training has the has similar adaptations or the same adaptations are no different to endurance training. However, when I see it in the real world, it does hold true for a certain amount of time, but then that base endurance starts to erode because we haven't been doing it. So if you're looking at being competitive, then that steady state endurance training is super important as well so just keep that in mind one of the other aspects that we talked about was the metabolic side so remember we get more mitochondria and they become better at metabolizing fat as a fuel so what sort of training could we do that fast tracks these metabolic processes 
Well, when we go out for a long, steady session, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get into an energy-depleted state. An energy-depleted state. Because that energy depletion is one of the signalers, one of the cell signalers that sends a cell to our DNA to say, make more mitochondria and make more aerobic enzymes that run these little power stations, make more workers so they work more efficiently. Energy depletion is one of the things that stimulates this cell response. So if we go out, for example, on a long training session, and we get up in the morning and we smash back some breakfast, and then we get out and we're running or riding, let's say let's say a ride because it's very common for people to eat a lot during riding. We get out and ride for let's say three or four, maybe even five, six hours, which isn't you know uncommon for endurance cyclists. And throughout that whole ride, you know, we're stuffing our face, we're eating, we're drinking according to you know the sport nutrition recommendations. And what has just happened to our end goal of energy depletion? Well, it's, com- it's pl- completely gone out the window because you're chucking all this energy in and your body's never getting to that energy depleted state. Or it might, but it takes a really long time to get there because it's fighting an uphill battle. So if we're looking at getting that cell signal of energy depletion, then that leads on to making more mitochondria. A smarter way of potentially doing this, and it's something that I use a lot with the athletes I work with, and I've found it really, really beneficial. There's research to back it up, and that is this concept of nutrient deprivation. That's what I call it, or fasted training. So you have glycogen, which is just storage carbohydrates stored in your muscles, which is called muscle glycogen, and you also have it stored in your liver. It's called liver, liver glycogen. Then there's also some uh, glucose circulating around in your blood. So that's all the carbohydrate stores in your body, the petrol, if you like, in your car. So overnight, if you you obviously don't eat anything overnight while you're sleeping, but your brain is kept functioning through liver glycogen. So in the morning, you wake up and your liver glycogen is quite low because it's been fueling your brain all night. So if we have breakfast, your liver glycogen gets topped up and you're away laughing. If we don't have breakfast, liver glycogen stays low. So when we head out on our ride, our body chews through the rest of our liver glycogen, and then it starts on the muscle glycogen. As that muscle glycogen fuel tank gets low, beep, 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 that was the warning signal that our muscle glycogen's getting low. As that gets low, that's when these cell signals start to happen sending it out we need more aerobic enzymes we need more fat to get over here so that we can metabolize it for fuel because we're running low of carbohydrate we need more mitochondria we need more power stations down here for the average human we've got about 90 minutes worth of stored carbohydrate about 90 minutes so for most people if you get out fasted in the morning and you go out and train By about 90 minutes to two hours, you'll start to feel like you're running out of energy, and that's because you are. And you're starting to get those adaptations. So it's a good time to head home. So you've just taken a potential, let's say, five-hour, four- to five-hour ride, and you've got the result that we're after, potentially, in a couple of hours. And 
I'm not too sure about you, but I think that's a pretty good investment, all right? You get the results in half the time, so to speak. Now, that's just in terms of those metabolic adaptations, okay? And this is probably what's going to happen. People are going to hear me say this, and they're going to go, right, I'm never eating again on tra- in training. I'm going to go and do all of my sessions fasted. doesn't quite work like that, and I'll talk about this soon in the speed phase. However, it is a good training tool to use in that base phase. A couple of little caveats around that is if you have problems controlling your blood glucose, then this is not a good thing to do. I would also always suggest carrying backup emergency fuel. Once you're 60, 70 kilometers away from home, you've still got something to get you home once you do hit that wall. Just be aware of that. The other thing is I'm not saying that long epic sessions that go really, really long aren't worth it either. Those long, slow distance sessions where you go and put in more time than you ever have in your life before and go do a really epic ride, they have their place for sure, 100% they do. They're really important for your psychology. Knowing that you can get out there for a long period of time is really key getting out there and doing the distance that you are planning on doing on race day it builds that confidence also spending that time in the saddle or running allows you to get a feel for the shoes for your backpack for your saddles for your bike setup all of those things are really important when it comes to training as well training is not just the physiology there's these wider things around it as well so i'm not saying don't do a long ride again All I'm saying is fasted training is a good tool to use. Give it a try, see what you think, but be careful. So moving on now to our speed phase, to our speed phase. So the aim of our our speed phase is to build on top of our endurance base, our race speed. Now, you might remember me saying that in our base phase, a lot of the adaptations that occur are largely structural. Our blood volume, our heart size, our capillarization, our size, and the number of our mitochondria. There are a few little enzymatic changes that happen um, in our metabolic efficiency in terms of our uh, aerobic enzymes that get upregulated to metabolize fat as a fuel. (coughs) In our speed phase... A huge amount of all of our adaptations are enzymatic. And this is where you can have an awesome training build-up, you do your race, and then you don't train for a while. And you feel like you've still got a good base, but you've lost that top end. You've lost that speed. You've lost that snappiness. And that's because enzymatic changes or production of more enzymes or the chemicals within our body they happen relatively quickly because they're not structural you don't need to make new structures you don't need to make new things they're just chemicals and enzymes which are things but they're not big structural things so they occur and they come about relatively quickly but in the same breath Because they come around quite quickly, they also degrade relatively quickly and disappear when they're not being used. You see, the body 
will not spend time or energy holding on to things that it doesn't use. Okay, it doesn't if it doesn't use them, it's going to get rid of them. For example, your blood volume. You can you can inject yourself with another liter of blood. And if you're not stressing the body through endurance exercise, and over time that will decrease and stabilize back to your required blood volume. So it's quite the body's very clever like that. The same with muscles. If you don't use muscles, they start to waste away because it's expensive to have muscle tissue that's not being used. Why have it if you're not using it? So the same thing happens in our speed phase. Those enzymes, they come around relatively quickly, but they also disappear quite quickly as well. So the speed phase, if you can imagine, the speed phase is all about taking all of those structural things that we made during our base phase and just really ramping up the rate at which they can do things. So with our blood volume, it's all about just increasing the amount of oxygen that it can carry, increasing its offload, increasing the speed that it travels around the system, so to speak. In terms of the mitochondria, we have the power stations now on site where they need to be. But we don't have all of the workers to run them at full capacity yet. So that's what the speed phase is all about, speeding up the rate that all of these processes occur at. The other thing that happens during the speed phase is that we get better at dealing with the byproduct of anaerobic metabolism, and that is lactate. And we talked about this in episode 5, how to train your anaerobic threshold. Um, And you can check that out over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website underneath the podcast tab. Just look up episode 25. And so we talked about uh, how the body actually deals with lactate. And it's called the lactate buffering system. And so what happens is the body now has all of these power stations running at full capacity. So we're getting really good at aerobic activity. We can work at a higher speed now and still metabolize fat as a fuel because in the past we may have had to slow down and revert to more carbohydrates. But because of that training that we've done in our base phase, now we're able to use fat for a lot more of our efforts and at higher intensity. So they're running, these power stations are now running at full capacity. And any lactate that is being produced because of anaerobic activity. And anaerobic activity, again, go back and check out episode 25. Anaerobic activity happens throughout all intensities. It's just at that point where production outweighs the elimination of it that it starts to build up, and that's termed our anaerobic threshold. So whenever lactate is produced, and it's been produced all the time, our body gets better at dealing with it and getting rid of it so there's not a build-up of it and not a backlog. And that's called our lactate buffering system. So that buffering system increases its capacity during the speed phase. So we get really good at getting rid of lactate. So we've got the power stations. We've got more power stations than we could ever want packing the muscles. We've got more workers. They're in there. But they're lazy workers. They're not doing much. Okay, And that's what happens in the speed phase is that these workers get trained up to work hard and fast 
to get those processes running smoothly. So we become, we go from this machine that didn't have the power that it needed, wasn't able to produce the energy. We now have the power stations. Then we go that we don't have the workers to run the power stations, so we get more enzymes in, more workers. They start running the power stations. Now we've got these workers that aren't very good at their job, so we train them in our speed phase to be better at their job, and then they're able to run at full capacity. So now in our speed phase, we're running at full capacity so that on race day, we're ready to rip people's legs off. So how do we get these adaptations in the speed phase? What we're really looking at is exposing our body to lactate or lactic acid. And again, cruise back over and check out episode 25 if you're if you're a little bit confused about the word lactate and the difference between lactate and lactic acid because I explain it all there. So what we do is we do some interval sessions and we expose the body to high levels of lactate and that gives the adaptations to say hey we need to buffer this thing or hey we need to get better at producing energy aerobically so we don't have as much of this stuff building up in the future. In terms of our VO2 max, our maximal rate of oxygen consumption, the amount of oxygen the body is able to take in and use, because we've got this highly effective system now, we're able to unload the oxygen, we've got more blood taking the oxygen out to those working muscles, and in our working muscles, now that those power stations are running at full efficiency, they need a lot of oxygen to run. So we are just dropping off as much oxygen as we can, and it's getting consumed. So our maximal oxygen consumption potentially goes up, and it's just purely because the rate of the system is working at full capacity. Not even full capacity, because we can always tweak it up and improve it, but it's running a lot more efficiently than it used to. There's also, over the speed phase, it's critical... So in terms of uh, training that VO2 max and holding on to it, again, we want to expose the body to intensities around that anaerobic threshold capacity mark so that we wind everything up, get it working as hard as we can, make make it more efficient, and then dial it back, ramp it up again. All of those workers start working like crazy, they fix the mistakes that they made last time, the production line's working really well, then we dial it back. So during that speed phase, it's all about uh, refining all of those structural changes that we made in the base phase and really just cranking them up to full production capacity. Over the speed phase as well, something that's really important and that's uh, in terms of the neurological adaptations that also occur. So it's really important during the speed phase to make your training more specific to the event you're training for. And this classic example is running off the bike. Okay, You can go and do all the running that you like and all the biking that you like. If you come to a race where you've got to get off your bike and then run straight away and you haven't trained for it, it's going to end terribly for you because the body's not used to transitioning those neuromuscular uh, pathways. So making your training more event specific is crucial during the speed phase and not just in terms of uh, the disciplines but also the terrain that you're potentially going to tackle is it hilly is it flat Um, 
temperatures is, is another key thing getting your body ready to operate in the temperatures that you plan um, positioning as well uh, if you've done all your training on a road bike and then you chuck on some aero bars at the last minute because you're going to do a time trial or something your body's not going to like it just because the neuromuscular pathways that are going to be activated are quite different so as you get closer to your event during the speed phase, to the top of that triangle, the top of the pyramid like we talked about, we want things to become more specific. And that's the key word there is specific. As similar to the racing situation as possible. Huh. Well, there you have it. I hope that has shone some light into the science behind periodization. Hopefully it hasn't just confused things for you more and more. Like I said, I'm thinking about putting together an online package that would be uh, very comprehensive and complete about how to plan, design, and implement your own training program. So I understand that not everybody wants a coach, not everyone can afford a coach even, or they like doing things themselves. So I think this package would be suit those kind of people really well and that they'd be able to take it. There'd be ebooks, there'd be videos, there'd be potentially more podcasts or more information out there that would step you through different scenarios uh, and and allow you to then look at your training and then adapt it, adjust it and refine it so that you can get the most out of it. So I hope you found today's episode of the Exponential Performance Coaching Podcast beneficial. If you did find it helpful and you got value out of it, please consider paying it forward. Paying it forward to the Exponential Performance Podcast charity, which is World Vision. I want to raise as much money as we can before the 25th of December for the World Vision charity to help out those people that are in greater needs than ourselves. So please consider donating even a dollar would go a long way. If all of the Exponential Performance Podcast community can get together and donate a dollar, we're going to have a lot of money to donate to people who are in need. So until next time, get out there, train hard, Work that body, get those adaptations that we're after, but don't forget to keep your brain switched on and train smart. Is there a different way you could be doing things? Keep thinking about it, keep taking action. I'll talk to you next week.